This is Your Liturgical Bible, a Bible study series from Enacting the Kingdom. We believe that through community, ritual, and liturgy, the story of the Bible comes to life. Join Father Jeffrey and I as we learn to express the beauty of the biblical story together. The Waters of Life is our topic today in our next episode of the uh, Your Liturgical Bible series, uh, The Waters of Life. And just before starting recording, you know, we were talking about, well, it's it's almost impossible to talk about the waters of life as a theme without also kind of talking about the waters of death. And we are going to cover in, I think, the next episode the waters of death, right? How water can be a dangerous thing, right? The, those chaotic waters. But in this episode, Father Jeffrey, I do want to focus on that shade of meaning uh, that we do find in the scriptural writings, that waters are a source of life, right? Focusing on that aspect, those themes that exist. Uh, and, and the one obviously that comes to mind is, you know, God creating the world and, and putting water in its proper place, right? Um, I think those waters of death could even be understood at the beginning of the story of creation when God says, let there be light, there's water, the, 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 uh, the spirit was hovering over the face of the deep, right? Those chaotic waters, but then God comes and he organizes, right? He puts order to this chaos that exists there. Um, and in, in that kind of way, he conquers the, that those waters of death but what he does is he orders them he puts them in their proper place in order that life might come from there so i i I think that's probably a good place to start father jeffrey is is genesis one uh with the waters uh but if there's a a better better place to start you're always welcome to to suggest that but uh yeah the waters of life and okay here's a question actually sorry i've been doing a lot of talking here um so it's it seems to me that god's separating the waters, right, in order that life might grow, is this image of the waters of life. Am I am I reading that correctly, or is there kind of something else going on in in that story at the beginning of Genesis? No, you're right, and it's interesting because I think there are two things that are happening in that organization, right? Um, and so, you, as you rightly point out, although you know later philosophical speculation speaks about creation ex nihilo from from nothing uh, from non-existence into being as we say in the liturgy but the the actual text of genesis 1 suggests that what god's working from here is a kind of primordial chaos right, uh, right, which, right. In, in which waters exist right so when when God began to create the heavens and the earth, it begins. Uh, the earth was complete chaos. The darkness covered the face of the deep. The word there is like abyss, right? So it's the kind of deep and dark place where the, the where the waters are. While a wind from God or, or the spirit of God, the same word, right? Ruach uh, or pnevma uh, swept over the face of the waters, right? It's out of that that God begins to organize. And you're, and you're right, it's by division, it's by putting things in their proper place. But I suppose there are two things that are happening to the waters that are really, really important here. And we see it kind of played out in the rest of this first creation account, this hymn of creation in Genesis 1. But we also see it when might look in a moment at Genesis 2, because there's a kind of organization of the waters there as well. But as I say, there's kind of two facets to it. One is you divide the waters from the land, because really, as human beings, 
we can only really stand on solid ground, right? We, we couldn't live in the waters. Um, and, and so th- the division of the waters, the organization of the waters in order to create a, a dry place, uh, uh, the rock, you know, all this imagery is going to come to mind, you know, that that's kind of fortress and place where, where God can protect us is, is on that solid ground, right? And, uh, you know, that's even expressed in kind of high places as well, away from, from the waters uh, throughout the scriptures. So there's that bit of organization. The, the the waters get organized in order to have dry land. But then secondly, water organized is going to be also the water that is life-giving, the water that 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 leads to, you know, fruitfulness and 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 the productivity of, of creation, both animals and and plant life and and that sort of thing. And so there's that that channeling of of living, flowing, clean, life-giving water, which is going to be an abundant um, you know, image throughout the, the scriptures, as opposed to, you know, as we'll focus on in the next uh, podcast episode, waters that are that remain chaotic, destructive, and, and death bearing, you know, water, it has to be put in its proper place and channeled in order to, to kind of give life. So I so said, there's kind of two aspects to it. There's the, the, the moving of the water aside to create that place where we can where we can actually stand and, and thrive as human beings. We're, we're not fish. Um, and secondly, that within that, that there is water that is channeled in a way that, that will lead to fertility and, and, and the life that we need in order to sustain our existence. If you haven't yet become a patron of Enacting the Kingdom over on Patreon, you're only getting a small fraction of everything we're up to. When you become a patron, for as little as $3 a month, you'll get immediate access to over 100 Patreon-exclusive episodes, weekly new releases, private live streams, and Patreon community events like Bible studies. And as we're social media free, Patreon is the only place to engage with us and others about these episodes. Go to patreon.com slash enacting the kingdom to join the growing community. Yeah, and you mentioned, you know, in, in chapter two of Genesis in this second creation account we have here, you know, I'm looking at verse 10 and beyond, and it talks about these rivers that flow out of Eden, right? And they water the garden. And, you know, this image of, um, and I guess that's the difference between what you might call living water, which is water that's flowing, right? Water that isn't just still and stagnant, it's moving. And, you know, I think Christ also mentions when he's at the tomb, uh, not at the tomb, at the well with the um, Samaritan woman, he talks about that living water, right? And I guess, you know, a well would dig down into those reservoirs or those underground rivers. And I guess, could we talk a little bit about living water versus maybe the still cold death, the, the, the stagnant water, that's living versus stagnant water and how those images are used in the Bible. Yeah. I, 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 first thing to point out is that but those are the same term in the Hebrew uh, and often in the Greek as well, where, you know, we would you, you propose the title for this episode being the water waters of life, but the, you would say that in the same way in Hebrew, living water. Right. So, um, you know, we're not talking about different, you know, concepts here. And so living water has all of this connotation to it. It's the water that flows. It's the water that, that is therefore clean and life giving. If you think about that, just in nature. If you have a bubbling brook, you know, in, in the wilderness uh, that kind of runs over mossy, you know, uh, rocks and that sort of thing, you have some confidence as long as it's not like a 
factory at the top of the hill from which it flows, they have some confidence that water is going to be clean and will quench your thirst, right? Whereas if you come across a, a pond that is stagnant, has no water flowing through it, it's obviously going to be filled with you know, algae and 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 uh, bacteria and and all kinds of you know things that are possibly going to be bearing death rather and, and illness rather than than life, right? So um, that that very fundamental natural image is at stake here, right? So part of the organization of the waters, the the, the channeling of the waters, is to make sure that it is clean and life bearing as opposed to you know the the opposite now the opposite of living water or of the waters of life will also be water that can be very chaotic and 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 filled with you know uh, tumultuous uh, chaos and, and so forth as well. So it's not always stagnant as the opposite, but one of its, you know, opposite images is that kind of bitter, stagnant, uh, death-bearing, you know, kind of form of, of water. So flowing and living, they all are kind of synonymous with this idea of, of waters of life. And to, you know, to go back to Genesis 2 that you mentioned there, it's interesting because, uh, you know, this is a completely different account, but it, it somehow fits together with what is already, you know, been outlined in, in Genesis chapter one in that hymn of creation. But it, you know, it begins in that day that the Lord made the, the earth and the heavens when no plant of the field was yet on the earth, no vegetation in the field had yet sprung up. So this is kind of a, a bit of desolation and, and, and waste. So it's another way of expressing that, that lack of life that was there at the beginning, right? And it says, for the Lord God had not yet caused it to rain upon the earth. And there was no one to till the ground. So there's neither the, the natural process of, of water that flows, nor is there human activity in order to farm and do agriculture and everything. But he makes this stream rise up or a spring, really, from the earth and waters the whole face of the ground. And interestingly, it's in this process that it's not just vegetation, right, that comes out of this in terms of this life-bearing aspect of living water human beings themselves are formed out of that. We think of the, you know, it says the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground, right? So this is um, Adama in the, in the, in the Hebrew. Uh, so, and man is Adam, right? So there's this connection between the human being and the ground itself. But note that it only comes with this living water that springs forth as well. And it's interesting because the word for the water here is also related to the word for the ground and for the human being, right? So you get ed, which is the same uh, letters uh, in, in Hebrew as the Adama, right? The, at the beginning there. So there's this connection between ground and water and human beings, right? And we know that actually, you know, we're made of minerals and water. Uh, and, and so, you know, this is, it's a kind of remarkable coming together, you know, of these things. So, and, and, and the man here becomes a living being. So we talk about living water, and now we have a living being who is made from kind of moist earth is what the implication, you know, is here. And uh, that's going to be a kind of ongoing, you know, uh, use of this uh, imagery or the metaphor of, of water throughout the scripture, that it's connected somehow to us as well, right? So when we explore good water and living water and life-giving water, it also has to do with human beings who are doing the will of God, who are living according to what God's purposes are. And the chaotic waters 
are often going to be associated with with enemies of that, with those who are, you know, opposed to the will of God, those who bring destruction and death and 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 misery upon the earth, as opposed to, you know, the shalom and 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 righteousness and holiness of God. So from the very beginning here, water is connected to to life. And water properly organized and oriented to to good life and water that is either stagnant and therefore fetid and and illness bearing um, or on the other hand just you know destructive is going to be opposed to to that way of, of being so the the imagery of water is really really powerful throughout the scriptures and you'll find it again and again and again we could do a whole podcast series just on water and, and pick that up in the prophets and in in the stories of the torah and then obviously picked up you know, in the New Testament, you mentioned, you know, Jesus speaking to the woman at the well, you know, and whose well is it? Jacob's well. And Jacob, who had also, you know, you know, been one who had found a, a well in the midst of the desert in order to kind of to to show his dependence and the story shows his dependence on God because he thirsts, you know, after God, he has this need for God. And so Jacob's well is where Jesus meets the Samaritan woman and he promises her what living water, water that flows out of uh, of the human being. And of course it flows out of the human being that human beings are made from such living water. And that goes right the way through to the final imagery of revelation, where there's the water that comes out of the temple organized in the new Eden. Right. And so just as we see in Genesis two, it's picked up again, you know, at the very end, but to say there's, there's so many places we could go with, with, with this, but these are fundamental kind of images that are, are kind of baked into creation itself, right? That, that right from the beginning, it is living water that that is sort of connected with the very creation of human beings. And the water of life is not only contrasted with the waters of death or things like that. Uh, it's also contra- contrasted with um, barren lands, right? Deserts, the, the wild, the waste, uh, the uh, dry places. You know, I think of... Um, you know, especially in Isaiah that we'll talk about, the waters will spring forth in the desert, right? And that's that sort of image that God's blessing will appear where you don't, where you don't even expect it to appear. And I'm wondering, you know, is, is this the same just kind of metaphorical image as waters of life versus waters of death? Or is this waters of life, you know, versus the desert a different, is there a different shade of meaning that's trying to be expressed there or is it just a different side of the same coin well i think there's a fundamental aspect to that 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 also needs to be evoked here which is a little bit different from just the life and death or the or the life-giving and and destructive you know powers of, of water i mean one of the things we have to acknowledge is that water is fundamental to life just in this very natural sense so if we don't have water we thirst and if we thirst long enough we die right this is this is fundamental and as we talked before about other kind of fundamental images, sometimes we're in our modern world, our contemporary circumstances, a little bit isolated or alienated from that fundamental imagery, right? We talked before in the Vesper series about the imagery of light and dark and how they don't really mean what they used to mean. They're, these are fundamental to the to the liturgy of the hours, particularly Vespers and then Matins, the way the, the symbolism of light and dark play. And yet, with the event, invention of electric light, we, we kind of don't live that reality in quite the same way. Well, ever since we've been able to store stagnant water in a way that it doesn't carry the, the algae and the, the bacteria and everything, but we can actually have 
we can drink, you know, from that safely. We don't worry in the same way. I mean, it used to be human beings on a daily basis thought about where is my water coming from, right? And it's interesting because if you don't have water, how simple your life becomes, right? All those things that were in your mind, all those priorities, all the things right, you would right. ever have, have a thought about planning and, and strategizing in your life disappear. The only thing on your mind is where do I go and drink? All right. So if you're in that desert and it, I mean, it does still happen to people, right? You know, your plane crashes in some, some desert somewhere, you know, we've seen this in films, we've maybe not experienced it ourselves, but I mean, that suddenly becomes the only thing that matters, right? And so that's that imagery of the wilderness of the desert and so forth. And notice how many times people in the scriptures are making that move, right? That uh, be, because of circumstances, you know, invasion, oppression or whatever, or because God, you know, requires that of people, you know, and I mentioned Jacob, but I mean, Abraham is called to go out into the wilderness and and to 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 depend on God the 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 people of Israel brought out of of Egypt into the wilderness right and that becomes a big theme in the Torah in the Exodus account and and thereafter about you know why didn't you just leave us in Egypt you know we had everything we wanted there we had water right and now we thirst but part of that move is to realize as you said that there are unexpected sources of grace when we learn to depend on God. And that becomes the, you know, kind of repeated metaphor here that it's only when you are in the dry places, in the wilderness, in the, in the desert, that you can learn to properly understand, you know, your human condition, your fragility, your vulnerability, your dependence, you know, on God. You know, we pray all the time in the Lord's prayer, give us this day our daily bread, and it's interesting how we kind of cast that, I think, in our minds. We often think of that as, well, you know, God, just keep giving me, you know, what you've given me. But actually, by praying for daily bread or for daily water, let's put it in those terms, what we're actually doing is saying, God, strip away from me all the stuff I've built up and stored up and, and, and protected myself against my vulnerability and dependence on you. Show me that I'm dependent on you again. Make my bread daily. Make my water daily. And if we had that, we wouldn't have refrigerators. We wouldn't have, you know, shopping trips that will allow us to kind of build up months and months of food supplies, etc. We would be living day to day. And ultimately, that's what we're praying for when we pray that. And the scriptures again and again tell stories of people who ultimately came closest to knowing God or drawing nearest to God in moments of utter dependence upon him. And so be careful what you pray for is kind of the, the thing here. The next time you utter that, give us this day our daily bread, you're actually saying, make me dependent on you, God in a way that i haven't been because i have abundance because i've 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 i live in a in a society that you know allows me not to be dependent on you i can i have this kind of illusion of in, in independence of of not needing you but put me again in that position where i am dependent on you as god does again and again with his faithful people throughout the stories of the scriptures and so that's that contrast between the water that that is uh, you know, the, the, we desperately need, you know, we cannot go more than a few days without water. And yet, you know, we need to be placed sometimes in places where that's scarce 
but therefore all the more precious and symbolic of our dependence on God, which is true at all times anyway. I mean, I'm just saying we've got these refrigerators and, and larders full, full of food, etc. But it's an illusion that takes us away from the fact that we can't even take our next breath without the grace of God. God's ongoing creation allows us to stay alive. And yet we inure ourselves to that. We, we hide ourselves from that reality by, by pretending that we can look after ourselves. Well, it's in the desert that we learn otherwise. It's in the desert that we learn that that next drink is going to be life-giving and that drink depends on God. If you are getting value from this podcast, please consider writing a short, positive five-star review on your podcast app. And even though we are social media free, there is still a place you can keep up to date with Enacting the Kingdom. You can join the email list by going to enactingthekingdom.com. So we, as Orthodox Christians and the Orthodox liturgy, has subsumed a lot of this a lot of these images from the Bible into our liturgy, right? It's this series is called your liturgical Bible. So it's not just that these are things are written in a book and you can read them and contemplate them alone. We actually embody and enact the story in our liturgy. And one of the places we do, especially uh, with water is the blessing of waters. And if you've been to a baptism, we bless the water. If you've come to church for theophany, we do a great blessing of water and blessing water. And we have holy water, right? It's, it's, it's part of our liturgical life as a community. So uh, maybe a, a question I have is, you know, we have this image in the scriptures of the waters of life and the waters of death. So when we bless water, Father Jeffrey, is, is what we're doing basically saying we are claiming that this water that we're blessing is now going to be in that waters of life category versus waters of death category? In part, yeah. I mean, in fact, we, we kind of exercise the water. So all of the stuff that is potentially, you know, bearing death about water. And so that's both the chaos and the the dangers. And, and obviously for a people that, you know, lived – you know, in the Middle East, in the in ancient Near East, the, the waters really represented in so many ways death, right? This is a place where people went and drowned. They didn't come back from. And the waters were tumultuous and dangerous. And you had to go out there and maybe you got some fish, you know, from that. But but the waters themselves are extremely dangerous. Or indeed, there's the utter lack of, of water that we just spoke of, the, the wilderness, the desert, or, or, or a place where the little water that you find can be bitter, Right. This is a story that we find again and again in the scriptures or, you know, water that's hard to preserve because the the wells are broken or the cisterns, you know, are not, uh, you know, whole. And that's an image we get in in Jeremiah. Right. Um, Or indeed, you know, the water can be filled with with poison, with with the things that are toxic and dangerous, you know, for so for all of that, right? So the, the things that are dangerous about it, the, the water that's inhabited with, with sea monsters, which is something else we see right from the beginning of, of Genesis. It's a repeated theme, you know, as well, or water that can, can cause harm in all these different ways. That's everything that we set aside, but not that, you know, certain water is like that. And then there's other water that is life-giving. There's a kind of call in that blessing of waters for all water to return to that creational purpose of, of giving life, right? So that, that we exercise the water, we exercise the, the, the demonic and the, the beastly in the water. We exercise the tumultuousness. There's a little bit of the, you know, 
not surprised to find in, in the Gospels accounts of Jesus who tames and, and settles and organizes water. It's, it's exactly what you'd expect God, you know, to do, right? So the, whether it's the walking across the water or the, the waking up uh, in the boat and calming the storm, all of that is, is implied also in, in the blessing of waters. We have the, the imagery of the Holy Spirit who, who hovers and descends upon the waters as at creation. Right, and it's at the baptism of Christ, which is precisely what we're celebrating at Theophany. So all of that is about recalling the creational purposes of water, and so we get you know these beautiful, beautiful prayers of of, of setting aside everything that could go wrong with water and calling it to to the original purposes of what God intends, which is to bring life out of wilderness and to bring order out of out of chaos right so the this is just from the, the those those prayers today the waters of the jordan are transformed into healing by the coming of the lord today the whole creation is watered by mystical streams right so the, the imagery here is right back to genesis right so creation that had been on the one hand chaotic on the other hand if you go to genesis 2 it's just kind of barren it's just land and this, these mystical streams have to have to come up today the transgressions of men are washed away by the waters of the jordan right today the bitter water as once with moses and the people of israel is changed to sweetness by the coming of the lord so there's that imagery about water that's stagnant and toxic and poisonous right is changed into sweet water and so over and over and over again the, the the imagery is just piled up once you know how that imagery works in the scriptures you'll make sense of what's happening in this beautiful service of of the blessing of the waters it seems to draw on every aspect of of the stories the narrative of the people of israel each one of these themes that we are going to go through in in the bible and you know how they are embodied in the liturgy they're kind of little every time water is brought up in the scriptures they're a little treasure chest that you can open it up and it brings out all the all these different shades of meaning and one thing i'm taking away from this conversation is that you know not all water is created equal in terms of its metaphorical purpose and image that it's being used that that uh how it's being employed in in the bible and um to finish off our, our session today i'm wondering what i would like listeners to come away with is tools in their tool belt so that when they read the scriptures and a word comes up like water or living water or the deeps or the abyss or the storm the rains right the waters have come up to my neck right all these um images of water um when it comes to waters of life, what are what are some of the images that should just come into our head or what are some of the metaphorical? I mean, we've been talking a lot about it, but I just mean in a nice, neat package, if possible. Um, you know, what are the things that we should consider when we do come across that word water? Right. One of them we've been talking about this, but one of them that I mentioned just right here is this idea that, oh, well, not all waters are equal right like how is the author using water here right maybe that that's a tool you could use um, but i'm wondering if there's anything else that comes to your mind father jeffrey about that yeah so i just to repeat what i said about you know water and human beings right because i think that's going to be one of the keys here uh, why do why does water go wrong you know it's not just you know water of its own volition does different things it's 
deeply, deeply connected to what human beings, you know, get up to. We are the, we are the willful part of, of creation, right? We are the part of creation that can either obey or rebel. Water itself, you know, much as we might think the, the hurricane or the typhoon or the tsunami represents water that's out of control. The scriptural idea ultimately is that, you know, natural water is organized by, by God from chaos into what is life-giving, right? But because we are connected with this water as well as the earth, we make things go wrong. So what we'll see, particularly as we go on to the next episode and we talk about waters of death, we see that the rebellion of human beings, the destructive violence and and killing, you know, that human beings introduce in, into the world is connected with the kind of resurgence of violent, chaotic water. So that's a theme that, that's going to run right the way through. But coming back to, to living water, well, where are we going to expect to find living water? Uh, you know, it's it's in that place where God provides for his people amidst desolation. We've talked about that in the desert, in the wilderness, and so forth. Well, ultimately, though, it's also going to be a sign of things coming right again. So whenever you get, you know, that place where heaven and earth come together, which is the creational purpose of, of everything, God brings creation forth so that he can be with his creation. And that's that image of heaven and earth coming together. So that's going to be in places like the temple, right? And so where is the temple set? The temple set on a, on a mountain where there's, where there's living water, water that flows. And that imagery of the temple from which water flows is going to be right through the, the prophets, right? It's that eschatological vision. When Ezekiel spells out chapter after chapter what the, the final temple is going to look like, when God rebuilds that temple and comes to dwell with his people, there's going to be the water that flows out from it. And we see that image picked up again at the very end of the scriptures in Revelation, where the new heaven and new earth are, are, are made and Jerusalem descends from on high onto a mountain in the form of a temple. The water flows, the river of life flows, and the nations are healed by all of that. Well, obviously, what's Jesus going to be talking about in terms of his own prophetic ministry, his own dwelling, you know, with people, it's going to be expressed in the same water. So he is the living water. It's what he promises the Samaritan woman. It's what he says at the Feast of Booths in the Gospel of John, you know, that that water will will will, will pour forth pour forth. And he connects that with the coming of the Spirit, right? And the the the, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit upon all of the world to renew the whole world, to, to bring all people into union with God is this image of the water, you know, that flows out. And we've said before that you get this imagery in the Psalms as well about how, you know, God's, you know, grace and righteousness will cover the earth like the water covers the seas. Well, the water is the sea. So, I mean, it's just this all in all imagery and so forth. So throughout the scriptures, it's picked up again and again and again. And ultimately it's a sign of God's presence, of his pouring out of, of his own life and glory upon the world in our participation in all of that. And so now whenever you see the, 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 the words, things like living water and rivers of life and all of that, you know how to connect the dots as it were, and to kind of make mm -hmm. sense of mm -hmm. that imagery. And when you're when you drink holy water at home, or, you know when you use holy water, this is this is the reality that Why you're participating do we do that? in. Why, yeah, exactly. It, this is not like some superstitious thing. This is not just oh, well, we've made you know this this special water that you know 
takes us away from the rest of the world. This is a sign and a symbol of God's kingdom that has come and the water that pours out that ultimately will bring everything, you know, into union with, with heaven and earth, God dwelling with his people and all of creation. Thanks for listening. I'm Father Yuri Gladio, an Orthodox Christian priest with a lifelong desire to keep learning, and I'm joined on this show by my teacher and friend, Father Jeffrey Reddy. Father Jeffrey is the director of the Orthodox School of Theology at the University of Toronto and holds a doctorate in liturgical theology. Come connect with us on Patreon with any thoughts and follow-ups about this episode. We look forward to seeing you next time.